episode of Becoming Divine, we are talking to the author of The Final Gift of the Beloved, Her Disappearance, 13 Days, Baron Stefan. Baron Stefan is a longtime student on the spiritual path of City Yoga. He's a big band crooner and a widower. He has been a big wave surfer, a 1980s Italian pop singer, and an award-winning elementary school teacher. Stefan has now fully transitioned from the elementary school classroom to his company, The Yoga of Mindset, where he teaches children and adults how to use their thoughts so they're not used by them. His book, which we are discussing today, is a love story disguised as a tragedy for his late wife, Dr. Shauna Stefan, who founded the Restorative Leadership Institute. Her life's work in service to the possibility of a just and sustainable world continues there. So let's jump into it. Going through this book and reading it, it was really unique to read the perspective of kind of like the grieving process and everything from a particularly um, spiritual perspective. Anytime Mm. you kind of read about grief and things like that, it tends to focus mainly on the pain and pain really did come across here. Um, But there was also like a real focus on the love and the joy of um, Sienna's life. And I just thought that was really beautiful. Um, And really from an outsider's perspective of your spiritual lineage, it seems as if one of the core tenets is actually allowing for the full expression of that emotion. Would that be right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And her name is Shauna. Shauna, I know it's the the Irish, it's a fine, it's the Irish spelling. So she gets that a lot. (laughs) Shauna, gotcha. So the way that you went about this grieving process, the full sort of 12 days of grieving and then on the 13th, the releasing, it seems like that would be something that is hard to do for someone who maybe hasn't dedicated themselves to a spiritual practice the way you did. Do you think that would be true? Yeah. Um, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but I know for a fact that I wouldn't have responded in the way I did, especially in the car when I heard the officer say those words, she is deceased, um, without all that training and practice and to be ready for that moment because that moment was so unexpected. Um, And as I tried to make clear in the book, there was always the option of the abyss. Like it was always there, but to know that it was an option was the gift of all the work I'd put in and that she and I had put in. And, And that's another reason why I put in so much about how we worked so hard on a relationship. Because, you know, Shauna is so big globally. She's so well known that many of her students and colleagues and family and friends idealized our marriage. And I wanted them to know how hard we worked to stay together and to bring out each other's best. Yeah, you did get really personal. And I actually found that to be not necessarily refreshing, but nice to have in the fullness of the book because... um, you really could skate into or slide into the like idealizing someone instead of seeing them as like a full person with flaws and also the things that make them beautiful. So I thought that that was, that was just a nice touch because it made them seem human. Mm. You know, both of you. She um, was. <laughs> so. So am I. Yes. Well, aren't we all? Well, it, mm-hmm. it seemed like one of the lessons that came from Shauna's death and the experience of it all was that how trauma, especially if it's unexpected, can sort of operate as a spiritual epiphany. Um, do you think 
Would that be how you would describe that experience? Well, yeah, and it was so unexpected. And, and that's another reason I wrote the book. I really didn't want to write the book. I had no intention at all, but I got asked by friends to do it because they were surprised as well at how I responded as I was. Um, you know, literally, it's I wrote the book as a chronicle of those first 13 days from the moment I heard the officer say she's deceased. And it's it's a moment by moment chronicle. And what it captured for me was this astonishing conundrum of how it could be simultaneously agony alongside the beauty. And to be completely honest, it was the love and gratitude that had the upper hand. And, and that was very confusing along the way, but also extremely supportive and uplifting, which is why the title is what the title is and why that is ultimately it gives the whole book away. The final gift of the beloved is her disappearance. And I think it's true, or at least possibly true, because I would never insert myself in anyone's grief now knowing how unbelievably personal it is. Mm -hmm. But why wouldn't the final gift from someone who loves us more than anyone else be to uplift and transform the perspective of that person? And that's what I got from this. That's what those 13 days, like all those experiences, they were blowing my mind and I fought them until I understood that they were meant to be a gift, that they were a gift of all the practice I'd done on my spiritual path, as well as from Shauna and our love. And I want to make clear a couple of things. One, this book was not written at all to promote any particular spiritual path. You know, your approach will look different from mine, but really it was more to convey that if one gives oneself to his or her spiritual path fully, astonishing gifts of insights into even the great mysteries of life are possible. And that more, I mean, almost like on a base level, it can provide immense solace and guidance in what would normally be unthinkable moments. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it was actually something I was going to ask because throughout the book, you do reference your spiritual practice and you don't really give any kind of context for it. And it wasn't until I think the 12th day when you finally start talking about it. And I was like, I wonder why he put that at the end. But hearing you describe it the way you do, that makes sense. Um, I thought you were, we were talking about personal practices I am a medium and when I go and I help people connect to their loved ones, a lot of the times, as you were mentioning before, people mix up their grief and their love. They sort of confuse the two because they think that that person is no longer there to receive their love. And so they're just holding on to it and they're turning it inwards. And yeah. Yeah. It's so natural. And it's ironic because realize I've been on my city yoga path for 40 years and in a daily way for 25 and yet so i knew all of that and yet it wasn't until i was faced with the nuts and bolts of something as graphic and and incomprehensible as my wife being killed in a car accident that that actually came to life and you would think that it would be right there right that i would know oh she's you know she's still alive and all that but my experience gave me something completely different and it was that third night when she spoke to me in my head that like shattered every expectation I had. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Reading that, I was like, wow, it sounds like he's 
chant coming from my understanding of it. I'm like, that sounds like channeling. That's what people have told me since, but I didn't know at the time. Yeah. It was just so unexpected, mm-hmm. but then so obviously her as soon as the words started coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, yeah, it was just so obvious that, um, and to be clear, you know, until then I had this idea of, well, you know, maybe Sean is sort of, you know, drifting into heaven or into the light or into the love, whatever she is, because she was such an immensely good person out for the good of all humanity and all creatures in the world. Mm-hmm. And to find that not only was she not doing that, but she was livid at having been separated from her physical body and our love and her purpose on the planet was astonishing and, and also terrifying for, you know, as I reveal in that chapter, um, because I was deeply concerned for what it meant for what she was going through that I couldn't help her with. Yeah. I think that's a really common fear that people have that their loved ones are, that that they don't have that support. Um, Is that, where the idea of the 13 day process comes from. Cause that's, that was something that really interested me to think that you would just dedicate 12 days and then on the 13th day release them. Cause kind of coming from a psychological standpoint, that seems like a really healthy way to do it. Mm. <laughs> it seems like that would be almost impossible to manage because life keeps coming in, but you want to dedicate yourself to what you're feeling. And I just, um, I wonder how, I mean, reading the book, obviously the grieving process wasn't easy, but I wonder how hard was it to really dedicate yourself to those 12 days or was it easier than I'm imagining? Well, um, let's, this is great. So the 13 days is an, a concept that comes from the East. And um, when I had been in the Siddhi Yoga Ashram in July um, for a month, I had met with a woman who, is, who, who had helped people um, when they were grieving and I had asked her about what to do because my mom was at a certain age Mm -hmm. and I thought, Oh, I should know these things. And she told me about the 13 days. And basically for our listeners, your listeners who are listening, um, it's where you celebrate and thank and even speak to that person um, for 12 days and just thank them and acknowledge all the love. And on that 13th day, you let them go, letting them know, and this is very important, letting them know they'll be, you'll be all right without them here so that they can go on into the light or the love or whatever you want to say it is. Um, and so I had that as a structure and I needed the structure. One thing in, in grief that for me was, I mean, it was in, essential to have a container strong enough to hold what was happening the chaos that was hurtling through me. And it was my practices and that 13 days that held it all together. Um, and it, actually it wasn't hard. You asked it, was it hard to maintain that focus? No, it was actually the easiest thing in the world because when I got out of that car, so I'm sitting in the car in the parking lot. I call the officer. He had left a voicemail message. Once he tells me she is deceased, I was completely blank. I had no thoughts because I had simply neurons had never wired to consider that possibility. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it's very similar, if not identical to deep meditation, which I've done every day for many, many years. So I was familiar with that state of blankness. Mm-hmm. And so I just let it be because I trusted it. And in that trust, one thing arose and that one thing is what 
kept me not only for those 13 days, but for a much longer period after, which was simply send Shauna as many blessings as soon as possible for as long as possible. That was the expression of my love for her. And the only thing that I could think of doing and the only, what else could I possibly have done? There is not, how, how else am I going to help her? How else am I going to be there for her? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that's really beautiful. I think the idea of having a container for grief is really important, especially because particularly here in the West, we don't like to contemplate death or what happens afterwards. So that means that we're normally completely unprepared for things like grief or death when it happens. And um, you know, I, I like that idea of the container. It's probably something I'll start recommending to people if they're worried, because that's a common fear. What happens to my loved one after they pass on? And a lot of the times people think, what if they get stuck? And I think that that's a really good way to express your own love for this person, but then also help them feel free to move on. Yeah, and I searched for, um, in spite of what it seems like I should have known from so much practice and study and all that, I still searched for things that would explain what she might be going through and what was happening. And on my website, I, I put a, a menu page of a, a resource library that has all the audio, um, the books and some of the lessons that I use for those 13 days and after to get me through. And one thing I'm going to recommend wholeheartedly, and it's not affiliated with any path, is the work of Dr. Michael Newton, which is what the monk that I spoke to from City Yoga recommended to me on that second day when I spoke to him. He said, you probably, he said something about the psychologist who's done work with life between lives. And it turns out this is Dr. Michael Newton. And he wrote this series of books, but the one I, I recommend the most and put on the website is Destiny of Souls, because it explains from his perspective of having hypnotized hundreds and hundreds of people this entire, almost like picture the world as a bubble and then picture this immense bubble around this world and many, many other worlds. And it gives that structure, that context that you're referring to, to have a greater understanding of not just where they are, but where we all come from, why we choose to come into bodies. Um, the, the purpose of life is growth instead of just happiness and pleasure. Mm -hmm. which shifts the paradigm completely and I think would keep a heck of a lot more couples together rather than divorcing once we understand that. Mm -hmm. um, so I recommend that highly because that structure that is really, really helpful. And I think any structure that we have in that moment, it's going to be utterly destroyed. So it has to be strong. Yeah, it's very true. And also really um, rooted in that love because you it's funny, you mentioned early on in the book that obviously this was a car crash and there was one than, uh, than more person involved in the car crash, but I had honestly completely, it had not even crossed my mind that there was a second person involved in this because so much love and attention and grief was focused on um, Shauna that I was, it, I, can, I just forgot. And I was like, why didn't I think of that? And I actually, um, I like how you made mention very early on and you sort of put it out into your online Ohana, your family. And um, you very clearly said, I, I want us to focus on Shauna. I don't want us to focus on any anger or blame or anything like that. And I, I kind of, I, I found that sort of remarkable because in that time of grief and pain, it's really easy to transfer 
all of that pain and all of that, mis that misplaced, we think love onto someone that we think is responsible for that. Yeah, and I knew that Shauna felt exactly as I did, mm -hmm. that that is the last thing she wanted or would have wanted. And from, from my perspective of like, for me in the West, we think of yoga as twisting bodies, but for me, yoga is thousands of years of the scientific study of the mind and how it works. Mm -hmm. And so one of the thing an ego automatically does and why we're so stuck in these divisions and fears and anxieties is because we blame others and the outside world for every negative thought and fear and emotion we have. That is the habit. And it, since Sean and I came together to, to grow and to mature together, we made a commitment early on that if anything appeared out of the blue, we would look to it for hidden gifts, regardless of how abhorrent it would be. Because the, the nice things that happen to us, those are easy and deceptive, but those abhorrent things. And so in a way, we'd learned to trust those things. So of course, I had to continue that. But I would also share how important it is now above all times in this current climate of our world and country to watch our minds because it is from there, from our thoughts and emotions where as soon as I'm blaming anyone or anything on the outside for how I feel, I am back in ego and completely hundred percent wrong. Um, and though that is the, as you say, the natural reaction, it is not our truest nature as human beings. It is something we have allowed to proliferate and I tend to think of it as a male-dominated society for thousands of years that has allowed that, right? Might equals right, right or wrong, black or white. Um, and I think we could use some women leadership to help us get out of this bind. <laughs> yeah, especially because coming from that perspective, if you were to focus on that anger, it would probably really arrest that grieving and healing process. It shuts it off completely. Yeah. By any, not only does it, that shut it off, but I found that any normal thinking concerns of like planning or anything, it closed my heart. Mm. And so what I wanted to do, because I realized I was, this was immensely beneficial to go through the grief, but also to receive the gifts, to become aware of them. I had to keep my heart open. And so how fortunate that I had the cottage down in nature to go to for all that time to be alone and not have to plan and not have to do these things because that part of my mind, it, it shut everything down. I remember one time and I wrote about it in the book um, that as soon as I started thinking about those thoughts, I, things went from like three dimensional to two dimensional. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, how blessed I was and how strongly I would recommend for anyone who really wants to, to deeply open the gifts from the one who's departed and also to benefit the one who's departed mm -hmm. to shut out any noise there is both really outside and also the noise that we bring in thinking through conversations and things in our heads and get rid of all that to really drill down deep on what's available because it's rare that we're ripped open like that right yeah as i say in the book you know in one sense, I'm happy to share all this now because I'm not, I'm not afraid of anything. There's nothing that, nothing else can happen to me that can be as bad as that because there's no one that I love like her. 
yeah. I can't lose anything else as bad as that. Like losing myself, so you know, compared to Shauna, nothing. I think it takes a real sense of who you are and how it is that you connect to love and to other people to understand that it's by going inwards and into that pain and into what, what it is that you feel that you're really able to connect with people that you think you've lost. It's not necessarily true that they're ever gone from us. And I think it's beautiful how you keep referring to it as the gift, you know, because it implies that there's still more beyond that. Even after you both had apparently separated, it turned out not necessarily to be true because as you went into this experience, you actually kept finding Shauna. And it was like the deeper and deeper you went, there was just more love and there was just more, just more Shauna. And that's a hundred percent true. And that, that was a shock and continues to be a shock. Mm-hmm. Like I assumed that our relationship was over and therefore the love had grown up to this point. And after that, no more, I was wrong. Thank God. But I was wrong. So I dream of Shauna all the time and different levels, both ones that I think are actually really happening and ones that I think she's just visiting me. And, um, and she's also communicated with me one other time since she spoke to me in my head on that third night. And it was about 11 months after she died. And um, just like that same night where I got up at 3 a.m. and I tried to sit for meditation, couldn't do it, tried to sit for chanting, couldn't do it. The same thing happened. I walked one day to the beach here in Hawaii to chant the Guru Gita and it started to rain and I went somewhere else to do something and nothing fit. And it had that same, huh, I wonder what's going on. And so I sat down on a couch privately and just asked in my head, just like that night, is there something you want to say to me, Amore? And she, she spoke to me and I wrote it all down and it was much briefer, and from a completely different perspective, extremely relaxed and uplifted and very, very clear message for me. But what I would share with everyone that I think is highly beneficial and relevant to what we're talking about, she said, um, let me see if I can find it here. Hold on. Oh, I'm with you so much now, and I know you feel me. I don't miss you because I'm with you anytime I want or choose, and it's so much more available now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, ultimately, I can imagine people out there going, yeah, I wonder if that really happened and all those things. But you know what I discovered, Julia? Mm-hmm. It's that perspective is the fact. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just influence the fact. Perspective is the fact. Because from my perspective, right, I can never get out of my own present moment. I will always be this awareness of of there being an I here present. Mm-hmm. And so I am always the perceiver and the, the interpreter of what's happening, n- no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately it comes down to recognizing, and it has for me those, what I call prime number-like episodes, unrepeatable, that are so obviously true and so deeply filled with emotion of love and transcendence that you can doubt it later, like you and I could go out for a drink later and talk about it and pick it apart, right, from our normal perspectives. But ultimately, we are the ones who choose what is true for us. And there's never going to be any other truth. Like, like I have spent years going into meditation, focusing only on who am I? 
who am I, as Ramana Maharshi and others teach. And there's nothing ever there when I get really deep down to it. Like I do this when I, when I run, when I swim, when I get down to simply the I am without I am a man or I am rich or I am poor or I am anything. The only thing that is there is this I awareness. And it's almost like what am I is just as appropriate as who am I. Mm-hmm. And so f- from there, what I get is that the only things that are perceivably true are what I perceive or what I put on top of that I-ness. And so what I got from all of it is I have the power of choice and that's the gift of my yoga and why I love it so through the moon because it's, it's taught me how to use that power of choice so that I don't get swept away by thoughts mm-hmm. and by emotions, which is why I always try to teach children when I talk for elementary school for 18 years that they're not their thoughts and they can choose to not believe a thought anytime they want so they don't get carried away by that stuff that's okay. another subject well that's invaluable too if i if someone had taught me that as a kid my life would have been so much easier until i had really dove into my own spiritual practice the idea that mm-hmm. of perception and believing a thought or not believing a thought and you can really tell in this story that you really did make a choice on how you were going to, I mean, you, you talk about how you didn't really, things just kind of happened on autopilot because you were never prepared for anything like this, but you can see, you know, a day two, three, you kept making this choice to keep going back to this and keep going back to love and keep, you know, going deeper and deeper into it. And so I think that's, I think that's very relevant personally. Um, And Mm. especially when it comes to something like grief, deciding how we're going to deal with it, how we're personally going to choose our experience there. Is it going to be something that we will eventually recover from, or is it going to be something that we just sink into? Yeah. And to me, that's why, that's why sadhana, the spiritual path, the spiritual practices and effort mm-hmm. make so much sense and are so essential because otherwise we don't have the strength to make those choices we are simply swept away by the belief of, oh my God, can you believe that a-hole did that or she said that? And as you read in the book, you know, I tried to leave Shauna so many times because of old negative patterns that I had hardwired as a child growing up through my parents and family life. And that's what I came in to learn. And Shauna never gave up on me, thank God. But that was what I had to learn. Yet I came so close so many times believing Like we can gather evidence to support anything we want. Mm -hmm. And I could have shown that poster of complaints of Shauna that I put in our meditation room hall and convinced any of our friends that this is true. Like this is unacceptable and absolutely behavior. I can't put up with it anymore. But look at that for a moment and step back. If I can just become that much more expansive and bigger person, I can... I can make a different choice. Mm -hmm. If I can be able to choose something that is bigger than whether or not I object to what she said and bigger than judging whether or not I'm happy or unhappy, fortunately, that's what my yoga has gave me at the time, which was the awareness of, wait a minute, I came here to grow. And my growth doesn't depend on whether she does this or that is nice or 
difficult. And it was that coupled with, I would just say simply, the grace of all those practices I'd done that gave me in that moment of, of instead of saying those words that can never be taken back, right? Once they're heard, they can't be unheard. Once that trust is broken at that level, they, they can't be taken back, especially with someone as pure as my wife. And I understand that. Um, thank God I paused in those moments. Thank God we chose to sit back to back in the meditation room as Shauna had said we should, because then we didn't have to see each other's facial responses when we said these difficult things. And that allowed the conversation to continue. Like there's just so many little pieces that are so important. And when we don't consciously choose, which Shauna was immensely good at consciously choosing things that are healthy and helpful, we, we are more likely to fail. We need all the support we can get. Yeah. I like that. We're more likely to fail. That's very true. So on top of all that, the way that you're speaking about your spiritual practice, this idea of making your own choices and sort of being, it seems like the master of your own life. It reminds me of this time sort of as you on the first day when you came out of the car and you walked into the church and you approached I guess an altar with all the pictures of your gurus on it. And you expected this moment of recognition or uh, I guess insight to happen. And you mentioned that sort of nothing happened, especially not the way that you were expecting it to. And I I know in the book that you refer to Shauna as your guru, but reading that moment in the book to me, it sort of seemed as if it was an initiation into becoming your own guru. Beautiful. Is that how you thought you, you, nailed, you nailed it. It took me years to figure that one out, but good job. <laughs> in, in the same way that I, I went in there needing to hear some confirmation, to feel some explanation for why, why now, why this? Um, I wrote a letter to my teacher, Gurmai, who's the head of the Siddha lineage and telling her of Shauna's sudden death. And ultimately after two letters, I never got, she never spoke to me. Like her, her correspondent person would call me and say, how you doing? And Gurmai knows this and she's sending you blessings and her love is always with you. But I would always specifically ask, does she have any words for me? Because one thing I know from the yoga path is that people, those saints who are realized and aware, they have a matraka a vibrational sound and the words can they're alive basically and so that's what i wanted from her but she never gave it for a year and a half i never heard her say one word to me and she did that i finally figured out julia for the reason you just said to keep pointing me back to myself no look inside you can never depend on anything on the outside no no it's all inside the inner self or as you know, so the yogis say, God dwells within you as you. But to actually be forced to do that, what another gift. Yeah. Right? And can you imagine someone who wasn't, and there have been many, right, who aren't totally devoted to their path or whatever it is, saying, how could she not do this? How could she not talk to me and help me? And then you go off on a whole other trajectory for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many choices along the way. So we have to be true to what we love and we have to be true to love. 
and not selfish in that, or we will, this, I'm saying we, but I'm saying me really, or I will always choose wrong in those moments that matter most. If I haven't been trustworthy and truthful with myself up until that point and earnest, how is that going to shift in a moment of utter need and devastation? It's not. Yeah. And that really brings to mind how we sort of expect these answers in these terrible moments where we don't know what to do instead of not necessarily preparing for these moments, but doing the upkeep in between these moments where we think we need the support. Because especially that moment where it was sort of this initiation to becoming your own guru, I feel as if that was not only possible to you because of it, but it was more open to you because you had been doing sort of that upkeep every day. You know, it was like brushing your teeth or, you know, going for a run or something like that. It was just, it's just part of how you care for yourself. And I think that that is sort of a crucial point that a lot of people in the West, especially we miss that. We miss this opportunity to take care of ourselves and be our own guru and even the smaller ways. Yeah. And I don't, I don't get how we miss that. Like having taught for 18 years, fourth and fifth graders and met with their parents and all that. I still don't get how we don't understand that practice matters. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we not get it? Like that guy and girl who won the Masters Open and the championship here and there, they did nothing but practice and visualize every day because they, they knew the power of it. To imagine that practice isn't necessary for these things to me is insanity. Mm-hmm. And it's why I still read my own lessons every day since night, since what, 1996 when I started taking them, there were these lessons called the Correspondence Course Lessons that um, were part of City Yoga. Um, And they're basically, you would read, get two lessons a month and reread them over and over. And I I record them. And um, I still do that every day because what I find is that the most basic way that life works is that whatever thought I'm thinking in each moment determines my experience of life in that moment until the very next moment when I think something else, maybe the opposite, but then I believe that completely. Mm-hmm. And so this is the most basic way that life works. Like thought is incredibly powerful and creative. We just don't know it mm-hmm. because we have 60,000 thoughts a day and we can't even remember two or three. But once we get that that's the way it is, and then on top of that, if we can just get the willpower to stay with it because it it's very, very, very few people I've found are willing to do this work with the mind because it's too hard. It's too subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I listen to my lessons every day because I'm replacing those old tapes of the way I describe life through negative or limiting ways mm-hmm. with teachings that are much mm-hmm. higher. And so they come out naturally because I've listened to them so many times. They're me now. They're not just teachings. Um, and isn't that what a, a tennis champion is doing? In the moment when he's got a fault, uh, you know, a double, double fault or win the match, he's mm-hmm. trained so hard that he doesn't even let his mind or her mind go to the possibility of failure, which would probably make a double fault. Mm-hmm. It, it is practice that matters. It is repetition that matters. <laughs> no, I completely agree, especially going back to the idea of negative talk as being um, 
contraction in terms of energy and positive self-talk, or at least going over that negative self-talk and trying to rewire that as being expansive. Because to me, that brings to mind how, even though going back to sort of more Shauna's experience, I think from an outside perspective where we're still focused on uh, physicality and embodiment, where that might seem like a contraction, but really probably from um, Shauna's experience, getting over her own trauma, you know, and then moving past that, it was probably more of an expansive experience, I would think. Um, obviously, I can't speak for Shauna, but I would think that if we can relate to their experience as being expansive for them, people who have passed on, and also be able to see their passing as an expansive experience for us, I think it's going to be more easy for us to communicate with them that way. Seeing it as expansion rather than contraction, thinking that our love is just, there's just nowhere to put it anymore. It's just our experience of love has to expand what's capable of it. Can we only love something that's physical? Can we love something that's beyond that? And I, I like that in terms of your um, yoga practice, because it really seemed to, your ability to love all of your teachers and express your love for them, even if you've never met them before, I think is another form of mediumship, but maybe in reverse, because even though you didn't know them, you didn't, you didn't need that in order to express that love for them. Does that make sense? Am I speaking in circles? No, you just said a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you just said a lot. Um, and so I don't know where, which piece to speak about. Um, I think I'm actually most interested in your spiritual connection to the gurus that you have never met. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess we can pick it apart from there. Mm. So, uh, so in City Yoga, there is a lineage of, of three gurus and and the lineage of course is a lineage that goes all the way back yet um it begins with bhagavan nityananda who i never met who was in ganeshpuri india and, and died i think in 61 and he passed the lineage to someone i did meet baba muktananda who came to the west in the 70s and that's where i had that experience i describe of the white tent on the parking lot beach in santa monica where i grew up with him and then Guru Mai, who is very much alive and very much a, a living teacher. What, for me, what Siddha Yoga is, is it's the removing of layers of concepts. And so when I went into Siddha Yoga, whatever, 40 years ago, I had so many ideas um, that had to be removed that were just, they just get in the way. They're, they're literally like if you and I were trying to get across the room, but we had all this furniture in between, the furniture has to be moved. There's no way to get across the room otherwise. And so through having experiences, I realized it was a true path. And it was those experiences that then had me stick with it. And then it was the sticking with it that began to move these ideas of just limiting the ideas of, you know, who's that person in the loincloth? And, and why do we have to take off our shoes? And, you know, all these things that are just ideas that get in the way. And they're... I guess it's good if you don't want to track mud through the house, but to get hung up on whether or not I have to take my shoes off, I had to realize what I was giving up if I was going to get hung up on that, which was a deeper possible 
receiving of a communication. Mm. And so really it just comes down to that, like how badly do we want something better and bigger and truer that makes us me let go of the idea that I can't have a relationship with a guru who's past. It's just, you know, when I was young, I became very attached to a book called The Nature of Personal Reality by Jane Roberts. And she was, uh, she channeled a spirit called Seth. And I guess of all the things in there that I got was that if we're not aware of the possibility of something, it cannot come through it. It will never be possible. But it is when we things become aware as, oh, you mean really that happened to someone? It could happen to me that the door opens in our psyche to allow it to happen. Yes. And that's why I trust, I trust my teachers so much because they've proven so many times. And over time, it just, that their words continue to be true. Mm-hmm. And so in, if, if, let's not even consider them that they're Siddha gurus and realized beings that have passed through this earth plane to help us all. But let's just simply say, you know, wouldn't we believe the brother who's, whose words always turned out to be true than the brother who always lied and ended up like getting in trouble and, and, and having a, a difficult life? It's as simple as that. Is we, we go at whatever highest, fine, refined level of truth and love and heart we ourselves can attune ourselves to. And so, of course, I want to attune myself to those who spoke that way. I mean, what I love about City Yoga is that it's not a religion. There are people from every different faith in it. And so there's quotes all the time from Buddha and Jesus and Mansur Mastana of, you know, and Rumi and it goes on and on and on. There is this understanding of no ism could possibly, no religion, no Hinduism, no Catholicism, no ism could possibly contain the bigness of what it all is and what we all are. And so eventually I just fell in love with those words. I mean, how could I not fall in love with someone who who says, see God in each other. God dwells within you as you love yourself. And then to meet Baba and to see him help that Brahmin priest who had forgotten his mantras in that chapter of Shaktipa mm-hmm. and see that he had no self-interest and no self-concern whatsoever. Like when he leaned back in his chair to see that and having never seen that before, what it was like to be a human who didn't seek attention and didn't seek uh, the craving for good opinions of for having helped someone in a moment of need. Like, None of that was there, and it shattered my heart in that moment in the best way, like, oh, my God, that's possible? Mm-hmm. I want to be like that. And my life was forever changed. That was a really cool thing to read. I've never met a guru in person, so it sounds like an interesting experience. I was like, wow, that sounds like getting headed, hit in the head with a mallet. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> 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 I'm glad we can both agree that a mallet to the head would be a great thing. A virtual mallet, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just thought that, that was kind of like a beautiful sort of symmetry, loving a guru that you've never met and then loving the guru that you did meet and somehow being connected to both of them through the love that you have for them and knowing that you continue on that lineage 
through your love, even though um, Shauna didn't follow the same spiritual practice as you did, as you mentioned, to me, it still seemed as if there was an uninterrupted connection between your spiritual teachers and Shauna being part of that lineage, even though she didn't personally follow it. And I just thought that was a beautiful, a beautiful thing. In my mind, she's one of the pictures on that altar um, with the rest of your teachers. Oh, and she, she is and she was. I mean, and I'm still trying to figure out that experience that I had on the massage table with her where her face appeared among my guru's faces. Like, as I said, in that moment, it was so, felt so out of place that I almost shouted in the room with her lying next to me on another table, no, that's not right. You're not my guru. So I am still trying to unpack that, Julia. Like if Shauna wasn't in Siddha Yoga, yet she appeared her face exactly the same as Guru Mai and Baba's in, in, in this immensely like transcendent, probably the most transcendent moment I've ever had in my life. What does that mean? Like, yeah. it's just mysterious beyond measure. It definitely, I, for one, reading that, I just found that to just be beautiful. It felt as if there was less a, less a connection based on, obviously, what lineage you follow and more about just following those links of love, you know, however corny that may sound. But that's just... It doesn't sound corny. <laughs> Doesn't every, doesn't every great being in religion say that God is love or that love is God? Like everybody says it, but apparently nobody's really that attached. To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I just thought, well, that's beautiful symmetry. And if you can just see the person you are in love with as a guru and as someone who is, a, you know, yeah. a God within them, I just thought that, that was a beautiful way to go about a relationship. But more than that, to go once you think that you lose them, so to say, once they stop embodying in the physical, it's the idea that the lineage of their love, it has never died because it was there before you realized it was necessarily. And I think what it does is coming from a mediumship perspective is it opens you up further to the, the idea that through your love, you're able to connect with your loved ones. You know, it's, it's never misplaced. I guess. And I, I, reading your book, I, w- it's, I was like, man, I see a lot of my own practice in this, even though I don't follow, you know, City Yoga. But I just thought for people who are looking for that, that connection, like reading your book would be a great way for them to realize that I can go into grief and find my loved ones, you know? And, you know, that's a, that's a, I'm sorry for interrupting. Pardon me, Julia. No, you're good. Sorry. That's a, that's actually one of the, practices um, of Siddha Yoga and probably of many um, philosophies in the East, um, but it's certainly in my lessons of that if you follow any emotion, whether it's negative or positive, back to its source, it always comes, everything comes from that same source of the self of awareness. And and just to, to like demystify that experience of the inner self for everyone, it's as simple as this. The space between any two thoughts is that. It is supreme consciousness. And we take it for granted because it's just always there, right? Mm-hmm. You're aware that I, you can hear my voice and you can see the background and all those things. That part of us is that is always aware but not speaking about it, not labeling it. That is 
that. That is God. That is love. And it, it's always there. But we just take it for granted. But God doesn't care because God is us and always there. Like, it's, there's no, this is all a, so for those who are listening, it's really is as simple as that. That's what meditation is. You can go to any spot between two thoughts and just let it be there. And as soon as a thought comes up to try to describe it or, oh, that was, or this is, let that one go too. As I say, I delete my thoughts. I just say delete over and over throughout the day. Um, and anytime I'm feeling any emotion, like yesterday, I had a really contracted day and it was odd for me because um, it doesn't happen that often. And so I did simply that. I simply let it be and watched it and realized, oh, that's not me. That's just an emotional energy playing out. It's, it's, karmic pattern in my head and as soon as i did that like immediately of course that little bit of separation of witnessing it gives immense relief because you no longer believe it's you and then from there it just lessened its hole a little bit at a time and instead of doing what i was doing i chose to go for a, a swim early because i knew that getting in my body would also help release whatever was going on there and so that really is a simple yoga practice if we follow the emotion back and back and down and down, they all come from that place. And I forget what, um, what uh, you know, Upanishad or whatever it, it comes from, but that's literally a practice. I find that really useful, especially if you're someone um, who deals with sort of like those carp. So whenever I have an intruding thought, it's, well, I, I call it a car crash thought because I literally had there was a, a day where I was full of these um, intruding thoughts and then I walk out to my car and it was a hit and run. So they're hit and run thoughts for me. And um, when you go through the process of stopping in between those thoughts and realizing what ones do I want to keep, what ones can I get rid of, I just find that to be a really useful process, especially if you're someone going through it, you know, if you're someone really going through a Trump, mine was depression and anxiety. So mine lasted a, a while, but I just, that was really what changed me. And actually, the more you talk about this practice, the more I'm like, maybe I've unconsciously been doing <laughs> yoga and I didn't, I didn't know. Um, well, you know, the, the practice that you're speaking of and that I'm speaking of, it doesn't belong to any religion, just like meditation doesn't belong to any religion. It belongs to all of us. So simply this idea of deleting thoughts. So, so on my website, the yoga of mindset, I just wrote three months of lessons for free for everyone. And I recorded them just like I have lessons that I listen to every day. Because what I learned from teaching my elementary school kids is that anyone can do this. And that it's as easy as, so on the website, I put for free five tools, but the first two are the most important. And it simply is delete any thought that you don't want, or that tells you you're something you don't want to experience. And the second one is get it in the bud. Timing matters. So that, it's very, what I would say to my students is it's so easy to pull out a little tiny bud of a, of a, of a, of a plant that's just growing, isn't it? It takes almost no effort at all. But if we let it grow, it's much harder to pull out a bush, let alone a tree or a forest. Mm -hmm. And this is very much how um, the West now understands how our neurons work, that those thoughts that are repeated the most have become hardwired patterns. So we always go to those thoughts. We always are negative when Jeremy says that. We're always positive when this happens. Those are simply patterns. So to, to change our life, it's, it, for me, it's as simple as saying delete in my head when there's a thought I don't want. 
and I delete it. And if it comes back, I say delete again, or I say trash. You know how on your phone you've got delete, and the, but you got to empty the trash later? Uh-huh. So that's my way of just sending this message of no more. I'm, I'm done with this whole area of examination. And what I love about this is that, you know, it's funny. Some of my students thought, oh, Mr. Stephan, you probably don't have any thoughts left to delete because you're so good at this. And the truth is, is the opposite. I find more and more thoughts that are just simply not worth thinking. And as I delete them, it gives much more energy to what I do want. So a good example would be... Um, conversations to others in my head so a big part of my yoga is simply that the only thing that separates me from my awareness of god within is my own ego is believing that i'm a separate person so what i figured out is that and this is true for me i'm not saying for anyone listening or anything but i'm just sharing this is that any conversation i have in my head with others is my ego trying to either make them wrong make me right or puff me up all of which are very very bad for what i want in my life and so I just, as soon as I hear me talking to someone, like if I get off this call with you and afterwards I'm, I'm hearing in my head something, oh, I should have said this to Julia and we start talking in my head, I'll say delete immediately because that is a complete wasted thought stream. That's true. I like delete. That's a, that's a good one. I've never tried yeah. that. But I try to make it easy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just if you can just delete a thought. Um, let's, if you don't mind, let's go to the 13th day because... Yeah. That one um, was like the shortest chapter. And I realized that the releasing day, I was talking actually to my father about this process and he was a little confused as to how do you only grieve for 12 days and then be happy on the 13th? I'm like, I don't think that's what this is. (laughs) And that's what I, hopefully I, I, I know I say it in the book, but sometimes I only say things once in the book, which is simply that I realized on the 11th or 12th day that 13 days wasn't going to do it. Like that this, that this, that these gifts were not going to stop coming. Neither was the immense devastation of losing her amazing form that I would never see again, regardless of what I understood about her subtle presence. Yeah. So what it does is, is it does two things this 13 days. One, it, it puts things in a container that are just chaos, right? It's, imagine like these quarks bouncing off walls, right? Otherwise it just destroys everything. And so that, that helped hold my grief and also allow my practices to help me. And that 13th day though, it does have a practical application, which is why it's a philosophy or a practice in the East for so many millions of people that I guess there's, they strongly feel that the spirit needs about 12 days to acclimate to not having a body, to dealing with the trauma of leaving behind these these things and people and jobs that it has that it's very attached to and that on that 13th day it's ready to to go back home to go back to that as life between lives as uh, dr newton says um so it's very important that the spirit passing on knows that you'll be all right without them which is why i think the whole premise of destiny of souls by dr newton is simply the departing souls attempts to communicate back with the people who are left behind that it's still that it did that it's not gone Mm -hmm. to give it that little bit of respite uh, so that it can have a greater perspective um and you know for your for your dad's perspective it's very true you know what day is today september what 
18th. Yeah, two days ago was the third year anniversary of Shauna's death. Yeah. So I started out the day feeling wonderful, and yet there were times when just this immense, one might say it's sadness, but it's just love that comes up. And it's just love. Yeah. So it's fine. It, it doesn't end and it can end if you need it to end. Just don't, you know, eventually time does get rid of that, but something so powerful, so tree good. Why would I want it to ever end? Beautiful. I think that was probably really the point of the 13th day was that you let the other person know that you'll be okay, but that again, 13 days, it doesn't stop, you know, for any, the grief necessarily, but also the love doesn't stop at the 13th day in particular. I just thought, I think from my dad's perspective, that probably would have been the part where he got confused the most, where he's also someone who loves very deeply and he would, he would most likely confuse his grief with love if one of his very close loved ones were to pass. And I think that that would be a relief for people who have that question to hear that even though the 13th day has come, it's not, it's not necessarily that your grief or your love has passed, but it's just, you're sort of moving on to a different experience of it. Yeah. Everyone is being allowed to move on. I would strongly recommend your dad read destiny of souls by Dr. Newton because it's written more in his era, like I see of my, a lot of my dad and Dr. Newton, my dad has passed away, of just um, being open to but needing more information. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. Newton interviewed hundreds and hundreds of soul of people and they all use the same language. And so anyway, it's, it's very comforting and helpful to have that door be open just a crack that, um, that this isn't all there is. Or as my teacher said, nothing is as it appears. I love that. I think Mm -hmm. I actually read a book by Dr. Newton. I can't remember which one it is, but I'm definitely familiar with his work. And I, I personally find it really valuable, but I'll definitely put that in the link down in the episode description. And I don't, I mean, I've had you for like a full hour and I don't want to keep you any later. I want to be mindful of your time, but did you want to talk a little bit about where we can all find you and where we can get your book? Um, yeah, the final gift of the beloved, her disappearance, 13 days, it's available, of course, on Amazon, but also many other places too. So if you go to my website, baronstephan.com, there's other places you can get it because many, many of my wife's friends, um, hate Amazon. And so you (laughs) have got to have other places to get it, you know, that support local bookstores and, and that's all there. Um, and also there is the, um, the resource library that has, links to all of these books and audio, including Dr. Newton's book that just supported me and everything there is free. And it has a link also to the yoga of mindset where you can um, see the lessons that I wrote for three months for free and listen to them. Um, I don't, yeah, it's all for free now. There's, there's really nothing left to, to do or to worry about. Um, I think that's another gift of Shauna is, um, 
I can't even describe it. I just, I feel, I feel done and grateful. I'm glad to hear that. And I wanted to say, thank you for writing this beautiful book about your grief, but also about Shauna. Um, She sounded like a really, she sounds like a really beautiful person. And I was really grateful to be, I guess, introduced to her um, for the first time. And it's, I think a it's interesting that you call it the final gift of the beloved, but it really seems like a gift that you gave Shauna by writing this book, because not only is it a testament to your love together, but also the love that she was. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing that because I read that, but I mean, I have so many. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, I need, I need to mark this. That was beautiful. And um, yeah, so I just want to say thank you. I know you mentioned that you didn't even want to write the book, but thank you for writing it. And um, thank you for the yeah. opportunity to talk to you about it. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say, um, so readers understand how big Shauna was. So mm-hmm. Shauna's vitae is pages long, but let me just give you two of the many things she did. So Shauna was invited by Jimmy Carter to facilitate with him at the Carter Center when he invited a group of world religious leaders to discuss why women were being abused by their texts and religions. Shauna was worked with Toaston International for many years, which was a U.S.-based company that was based out of West Africa, Dakar, and it was the first organization to to go into West Africa and get over 8,000 villages to voluntarily curtail female genital cutting. Oh, wow. So Shauna, there's a reason there was a global outcry when Shauna died. Mm -hmm. She restored a leadership institute, which is, you know, the website that she started and the leadership that she began. It still continues. Her students kept it going. Um, Shauna was a force for good and still is. And... um, yeah, I got a little lost. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for sharing this beautiful person with us for mm. the perspective that we maybe wouldn't have gotten. Mm. You hadn't shared your grief with us. So thank you for being so vulnerable. And again, thank you for writing it, even though you didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, everyone. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. I know that I personally really love talking to Baron Stefan. I thought he had a really interesting viewpoint and he makes a lot of great points about the necessity of training and practice when it comes to your spirituality and applying it to really trying times in life like grief or when you're feeling depression or even shame and how it really can be applied not just in these sort of incredibly personal traumatic moments but possibly as sort of an overarching, how do we heal the world? How do we heal sexism? How do we heal racism? And it's by relying on that training that we have done, that meditation, our practice, our prayer is how we're going to be able to change ourselves and heal the world. So I thought that was really beautiful. I loved when he brought that up. I'm also going to put the links in the episode description. We talked about Dr. Michael Newton. I'll put that in there. I have read a book by Dr. Michael Newton, and so I can vouch for it. It's good stuff. I'm also going to put the links on how to reach Baron Stefan in the episode description as well. And Any links on where to find his book, I'll put in there as well. And thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time.